Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, Pastor finishes his sermon series with his sermon, Be United. Brothers and sisters uh, don't always get along, do they? <laughs> Let me say that again. Brothers and sisters don't always get along, do they? Um, in fact, I remember when I was a kid, I was number four out of five boys. I remember as a kid that there were times uh, that my brothers and I would argue, fuss, and fight. Any of you have siblings like that here? No one. Good. All right. Uh, I remember that there were times that I would see some of my friends and I in the school uh, place argue, fuss, and fight. And sadly, every time that my brothers and I would fight or friends of ours, I would see fussing and fighting. It was, it was literally this, this, this lack of unity that we would see within the home, this lack of unity in the, in the schools. And, and no matter where we went, the marketplace, it always seemed to result out of a, a sense of selfishness, out of a sense of selfish sinfulness uh, that is so, um, so incumbent upon us because we're covered by that thing called flesh. And so uh, I know as a little kid, you know, there were times that I wanted what I wanted, and I wanted it right then. And if I didn't get my way, problem, is that like any of us today? We want what we want, when we want it, we want it how we want it, and if we don't get it when we want it, there's a problem. The Bible even gives us examples of this, of uh, those who struggled with unity as well. We think of Cain. He had a problem with his brother, didn't he? It didn't end out well. Joseph's brothers, they sold their brother into slavery. You say, well, what about Jesus' disciples? Yeah, they had a problem too. A couple of them, they started arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom to come. And, uh, and so we see struggles all over. And as Christians within the church, we don't always act or get along well with one another either. But it is incredibly, incredibly important to God. In recent days, without becoming so political this morning, in recent days we have once again witnessed the horrific tragedies and heartbreak that are associated with people when they are filled with prejudice and bigotry and quite frankly all types of hate. But the great thing about being a believer is that we know that we're not to be filled with hate. We're to be filled with what? Because the Bible says God is love. Turn with me, if you haven't already done so, to Psalm 133 this morning. You see, this idea of disunity is not God's plan. I can assure you that, especially within the household of faith. His plan today for you and me is that we be united. Not just because we live in the United States of America. It doesn't matter where you live. As a believer, you are to be united with other believers. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about be growing. And one of the things I started out with, my point number one, was that we need to be growing in our affection of other believers. That's what Peter tells us. And so today, I want us to look at three verses of Scripture to see how we might better understand this idea of being united. Or the call to be united. There's two schools of thought when we look at this passage. Number one, it's believed that David wrote this psalm when, while celebrating the uniting of the northern and the southern kingdoms. They come together as one. 
If you remember back in Scripture, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel is sent to the house of Jesse. Saul has disobeyed God, and God says, Hey, listen, I'm going to take my hand off of this king. Uh, Get down to Jesse's house, for I have chosen a new king. And so we find in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that Samuel goes down to Jesse's house, and the, 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 the rest of the story, so to speak, is that Samuel uh, anoints uh, David to be Saul's replacement. If you read on in Scripture, you understand that it's uh, uh, David in 2 Samuel chapter 2 is appointed as, as king over Judah, and he serves in that capacity in Hebron for seven and a half years. When you get to 2 Samuel chapter 5, you understand that the kingdoms come together. And this is, this is one of the thoughts concerning the psalm is that this was a celebration, if you please, of his coronation as the king over a united Israel. All 12 tribes coming together as one. Another belief is that David wrote this uh, psalm to his quarrelsome sons. David had a problem with his boys getting along as well. You think about Absalom murdered Ammon. You think about Adonijah, he uh, was there trying to prevent uh, Solomon's ascension to the throne, if you please. Either way, whichever way you look at it, the reality is that this psalm speaks about the power, the power of unity. And that power doesn't come from me and the power doesn't come from you, but the power of unity that we see coming from God. When the body of Christ is united, I can tell you the Holy Spirit begins to move. And when the Holy Spirit begins to move, lives begin to be transformed. Okay, we've got a problem here this morning. When the church is united, the Holy Spirit begins to move, which is a good thing. And when the Holy Spirit begins to move, lives begin to be transformed. The reason that's pretty important that you would agree with that or say amen. By the way, when you say amen, you're essentially saying, I agree. You're not saying, oh, go sick him or anything. You're saying, I agree with that statement. It's pretty important that we understand that we want our lives to be transformed. But because without the transformation of our hearts and minds through the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God, then guess what? We walk out of here in hate. We walk out of here filled with our own prejudice. We walk out of here filled with our own selfishness and sinfulness. And so it's a pretty important deal. And so when we live in unity, as a church, the Holy Spirit begins to move. Lives are transformed. The shackles of sin are broken. And quite frankly, when the Holy Spirit has freedom to move, there's nothing that is broken that cannot be fixed. Because we're not relying on ourselves to fix it. There have been some things in my life that sometimes I try to fix on my own. And I need to let God do the fixing. Psalm 133, notice our passage once again. And I'm going to give you quick, three quick thoughts about this passage. Number one, let's read our text. Number one, I want you to understand, be united. It's a good thing. It's a good thing, number one. Let's read our text together. In verse number 1, the Bible says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Number 1, if you're a note taker, be united, it's a good thing. I want you to notice a couple of words. The first word is behold. 
When David says, behold, what he's saying, he says, look, see. In other words, get ready to marvel at what I'm getting ready to tell you. This is incredible. What I'm getting ready to share with you is an incredible thing. And so what I want you to do is I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying. And so he says, behold. The very next thing we see is the word good. It says, he says, it's good to dwell together in unity. Now, what you need to understand is this word good is used in the masculine and feminine tense. Okay? And this word actually means beautiful, excellent, or best. So now, let's context, David says, hey, get ready to marvel at what I'm going to tell you. And he says, first of all, it's a beautiful thing. It's an excellent thing. It is the best thing for you to dwell together in unity. Notice on, keep going on. The word pleasant. The word pleasant means delightful or sweet. So David is saying it's not only excellent or best in God's sight for brothers and sisters to dwell in unity. He's also going on and saying it's delightful for you and I as members of his family when we dwell together in unity. Say, well, brother, we've got unity in Christ, but sometimes we don't act like it. Oh, we, Jesus paid it all. I'm so thankful he paid it all. Yeah, I am too. But, you know, there's a requirement that we would walk in unity of spirit and purpose and in the bond of peace, and we'll get there in a little bit. And so uh, we have to understand as believers we have unity with God and with one another only because of who? Only because of who? I want to make sure we understand this. The only reason we can ever have unity, guys, with God or with one another is because of Jesus. We have to pay attention to this. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 because the Bible actually explains this good gift of of unity that God gives in Ephesians chapter 4. Many times I actually quote verse number 1 when I'm talking about uh, how we're to walk and live our lives. But I want you to notice in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 what the Bible has to say. This is a great discourse on the topic of unity. And the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, remember in chapters 1 through 3, Paul talks about doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus and he says, this is how you put what I told you in chapters 1, 2, and 3 into practice. Okay, And so we make a transition here at chapter 4. Notice what he says. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. What he's saying there very quickly is that you're not acting like Christians, but that you actually live as children of God. You see, he says, I don't want you to be a hypocrite. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I don't want you to walk as a hypocrite. I don't want you to say one thing and do another thing. He says, I beseech you, therefore, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now, you say, well, how do we do that? He tells us, notice verse number two. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He goes on, verse 4, 5, and 6. He says, For there is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says there's one body. Every single person that has trusted Jesus Christ is within the body of Christ, the family of God. You're still not convinced you want to be a part of God's family? You want to know why most people aren't convinced that they want to be a part of God's family? It's not, it has nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with us. People look at us. People look at how angry we walk around. Judging one another, condemning one another, picking on one another, gossiping against one another, backbiting one another. I mean, we could go on and on. And then they look at it, and then you turn around and say, oh, by the way, we're having a, uh, a picnic. Would you like to come to the church picnic? We have some good fried chicken. Oh, we might have some good fried chicken, but how about some good old-fashioned unity? How about a unity of spirit in the bond of peace? There's one body. There's one spirit. Guys, I got news for you. There's only one Holy Spirit. There's not a charismatic Holy Spirit. There's not a Methodist Spirit. There's not a Baptist Spirit. There is the one and only the Holy Spirit of God. Wow, y'all woke up. Scared me. There's one hope, Paul says. Notice verse 4. Even as you're called in one hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. I think about Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have one Lord. Christians of that time were not persecuted for believing the Christian God. They were persecuted because they believed and because they knew that He was the only God. John chapter 14, verse number 6 Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Acts 4, verse number 12. The Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. If you're saved by something other than Jesus Christ and him alone, I got news for you. You need to consider it. Your salvation, my salvation is only because of what Jesus did on the cross. Dying on the cross, shedding his blood for the remission of sins, being buried in a borrowed tomb, and then rising three days later according to the scriptures. That's how we have life eternal. There's no other way. Hey, your salvation, if you're basing your salvation on some denominational background, you're in trouble. Because when I get to heaven, I may have pastored Battlefield Baptist Church for a time. But when I get to heaven, God's not going to say, oh, look at you. Well, come on in. You pastored the Baptist Church. No, he's going to say, what right do you have to be here? I'm going to say I have no rights other than the fact that I trusted Christ and the finished work of Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's what right I have because I'm basing my salvation not in me, but in him. We have one, one faith. Paul's not talking about a personal faith when he says here, if you go back with me to uh, verse number uh, uh, 5, we said we have one Lord. In verse number 5, he says we have one faith. He's not talking about our personal faith, but he's talking about a, a system of belief that is based, that is really based on a body of truth, i.e. God's Word. 
is what he's talking about, the faith that we find. By the way, the Bible is our final authority for all matters of Christian faith and practice. I don't need to go to some commentary to tell me how to live. God has already told me how to live. I was talking Wednesday night. We just got to make smart choices. It's not about being wise. It's about being smart. If God says it, I know this may seem old-fashioned to some of us who are not 55 and older, but if God says it, that pretty much settles it. You don't have to, you don't have to consult some theologian, some snack shop theologian who thinks he knows more than God. All you need to do is check out what God says. If God says stay away from it, that's what he means, stay away from it. If God says walk in unity, that it's good and pleasant, that brothers and sisters dwell in unity, that's exactly what he means. It's not confusing. We seem to mess it up all the time. There's one baptism the Bible talks about here in Ephesians. We baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. There's one baptism. There's one God and one Father. This is speaking of monotheism. One God, three persons in Deuteronomy, and I didn't give the guys this, but in Deuteronomy 6.4, we know the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Listen, God's word never says that you and I are to have unity over superficial things, things like the shape of the church building, things like the color on the wall, things like the color of the carpet or the floor type or the pew type or the chair type. Well, we don't have pews. We have chairs. We don't have chairs. We have pews. God, he's not concerned about a pew or a chair, either one. All he's concerned about is are you willing to worship him? Are you willing to get in his word and study his word? Are you willing to pray to him? Are you willing to submit your lives to him? He gave us the example, by the way, through his son, Jesus Christ. Remember in John chapter 13, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Then in John chapter 14, he gives them this dissertation. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. And then they say, well, we don't even know the Father. What's, what's this about the Father? And, and, and then he says, Philip, how long have you been with me that you haven't seen the Father? Because if you know me, you know the Father. He and I are one. Then you go in John chapter 15, and he talks about being the vine, and we are the branches. And then in John chapter 16, he says, hey, get ready. Get ready. The world hated me. They hate me. They're going to hate you more. In fact, some of them, if you go to John chapter 16, it's incredible. You go there. He says in in verse number 2, 1 and 2, you'll see it. He says, some are going to put you to death and think they did the world a favor. They will kill you and think they did a favor for the world. Then in John chapter 17, we'll look at that here in a second. He prays. He prays for himself, and he prays for his disciples, and he prays for you and me. Listen, the unity of superficial things, like colors of carpet and wood flooring or not wood flooring, or whether you have a flower garden or whatever it is, that that makes no difference to God whatsoever. And by the way, Jared, we're not to be arguing over superficial music either. Listen, if the song honors God and brings glory to God, it's okay. Whether it be an old-fashioned hymn or a newfound cornerstone, Christ our all. I think, I think the Lord's okay with us singing Christ is our all. We get, so, we get so caught up in all this little bubble of junk that we don't have unity. We walk out of here and we're so disunified that there's no way God would ever bless us. 
Not just this church. There's many churches down the road that are going through the same struggles. You see, God's Word says, be united in the things that matter most. Look at verse 1 of our text again. David said, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. God's job out of His great pleasure was to establish the boundaries of unity. My job and your job is to preserve that unity through our correct beliefs and our correct behavior. Someone has said it this way, Coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. And working together is success. You see, as one flock, we're gathered together. As one family, we dwell together. As one body, we're joined together. As one temple, we are framed together. As one household, we're built together. And as one church, we worship together. This is what unity looks like. Acts chapter 2 reveals just how good and just how pleasant unity really should be. In fact, you don't have to turn there, but guys, if you'll show these verses... In verse number 42, we know that this early church, they were experiencing unity like none other. Notice it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. Verse 44 says that all believed and were together and had all things common. Verses 46 and 47 say, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. Oh, yes. Be united. It's a good thing. Number two, be united because it's a God thing. Be united. It's a good thing, but number two, be united. It's a God thing. Look at verse number two and three of our text. It's a God thing. The Bible says, when speaking of unity, notice what it says. It is like, this is what he says, unity, it is like. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. Right here in these two short verses, we have a couple of illustrations of what living in unity is like. You see, one says it's like the ointment that is being poured out upon Aaron's head. The second one says that unity is like the dew of Hermon falling down on the mountains of Zion. What I think it's important for us to note is to notice the downward motion in both instances. Remember, God's blessings always flow down to us. There's an old song that I used to love to sing, and oh, my wife's already laughing. When the praises go up, the power comes down. The Holy Ghost of heaven is all around. See, when we start praising God, when we start walking in unity of spirit and in the bond of peace, and he sees that, the blessings and the power, they start flowing down. I think of James chapter 1, verse number 17. The Bible tells us this. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. But I want, what I want us to do is notice the imagery Notice the imagery and the uh, symbolism that David is using here to make his point. Notice in verse number 2, first the word ointment. Notice in verse 2 the word ointment. He says this idea of unity, it is like the precious ointment. That word ointment literally, it literally means grease in liquid form. You say, yuck. He says unity is like grease 
in liquid form, i.e., he is speaking about oil. He's speaking about oil. And you say, well, what's the big point? Well, oil was a highly favored commodity in those days. Not for, not for making gasoline. Not for making gasoline. But oil was a high commodity. They used it for cooking and moisturizing and, and for uh, refreshing one another. However, look at the passage because David doesn't just say, hey, it's like oil. Notice the word precious. He says it's precious oil. Interestingly enough, the word precious there in verse 2 actually comes from the same Hebrew word that the word good comes from in verse 1. You remember what I told you good means? It means beautiful, excellent, or best. And so David is saying that unity is like the best or the beautiful or the excellent oil that is poured upon the head of Aaron. Now, pouring oil on someone's head was a picture of hospitality and refreshing. It would be like you and me having a, 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 a traveler come through on a hot day and we say, come on, sit up on the front porch or why don't you come on inside, take a load off and, and uh, offer them some iced tea or lemonade. That's, that's what it would be like. See, because of the dry, hot, and arid conditions of the day, when you offered someone oil or you gave them oil upon their head, that would have been something that refreshed them. And this is what David is saying. He says our unity is something that is refreshing. But let's look closer at the illustration. The oil doesn't stop. Notice in verse 2, where does the oil go? It's poured upon the head. There you got it. It's poured upon his head and it comes down. It runs down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, and went down to the skirts of his garment. What we see here is that the host is not stingy. Do you know when we walk in unity, our God will not be stingy with his blessings? That's good news. The problem is we have to walk in unity. We have to endeavor to keep the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. See, there is a requirement. Yes, we are unified together with Christ Jesus as a body of believers, but we must strive to keep this unity. Listen, our God is not stingy. He's generous. But as the TV salesman said, wait, there's more. Look back at verse number 2. Because the fact that David is using Aaron, who was Aaron? He was the high what? He was the high priest. It's a pretty significant fact that he would allude to the high priest. And he says here, he tells us he's not just simply speaking of an olive oil, but David is saying as the high priest, they would have never anointed the high priest with just olive oil. There was a special recipe, and you can read all about it in Exodus chapter 30, of the oil, the makeup that would have been used to anoint a priest such as Aaron. That oil contains olive oil. Myrrh, cinnamon, cassia. Cassia is like cinnamon, but a darker comes from a darker bark. Also, uh, cane. See, this special oil reminds us uh, to appreciate the special relationship that exists between Christians. And so I have a couple of questions. For the Old Testament believers who would have seen this, who was the promised Messiah? Thank you, somebody from back there. His name was Jesus. Who is our high priest? These are not trick questions. 
The promised Messiah was Jesus. Our high priest, you can read all about him in Hebrews over and over and over and over and over again, is Jesus. Here's the fun fact. Messiah actually means anointed one. David is giving us some imagery. Go back to chapter or verse 2, guys. Show that for me, please. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard, the anointed priest, and went down to the skirts of his garment. Listen, I believe this is fun fact. Aaron's robe would have most likely been embroidered with the 12 tribes of Israel. So guess what? That blessing not only flowed upon the head of Aaron, down his beard, but over his garment, symbolic of flowing to the blessings of all the children of Israel. Guess who is our high priest? Think about the imagery. The oil on the head flowing down his beard that man tried to pluck out, down onto his garment, and Jesus Christ died for who? The sins of the world. He died for me. He died for you. He died for all those who would call upon his name for salvation. What a beautiful picture. And and David says, when we dwell together in unity, this is what it's like. It's like God pouring out his blessing on you in this fashion. Ephesians 5.23 tells us that Christ is the head of the church. Therefore, unity truly is a God thing. In verse 3 of our text, it also mentions that unity is like this dew of Hermon that descends down upon the mountains of Zion. Well, Mount Hermon was located in the north, and the mountains of Zion were located in the south of Israel. And what you need to know is Mount Hermon sat about 9,000 feet above sea level, and and, uh, the mountains of Zion, that mountain range, sat about 2,400 feet above sea level. So you got about a 7,000-foot difference. And so uh, what was known is that, that Hermon uh, was known for its cool nights and its heavy dew. Dew is a sign of refreshing. The cool temperatures would have been a refreshing thing to those people of that time because the mountains of Zion were in a hot and dry area. And so the amazing picture that David is painting with us here in verse number 3 is that when we dwell together in unity, it's like being in the hot temperatures of Mount Zion, but being refreshed by the cool temperatures and the heavy dew of Mount Hermon. Unity is a God thing. Oh, we have to see it as a God thing. That helps us to pursue it in our own uh, everyday lives. I think about Jesus. I was alluding to it earlier in John chapter 17, his longest recorded prayer. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then he actually prays for you and for me. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 20 through 22 of John 17. Jesus says, Neither pray I for these alone, speaking of his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may also be one in us. Now you have to ask yourself the question, why? Notice the colon there. I tell you, whenever you see a colon in Scripture, ask yourself the question, why? It doesn't always work, but many times it does. He says that they may also be one in us. Why? That the world may believe. He says, God, I'm asking you to give them unity. 
Because when the world sees them walking in unity, when the world sees them endeavoring to keep the bond, uh, the, the spirit of unity and the bond of peace, the world is going to be drawn and the world will realize that I am who you say I am and I am who I say I am. And so he says that the world may believe that thou hast sent me in verse 22 and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. He says, here's the purpose, unity, that the world may believe and that the church would be a glorious thing. I've given them my glory. I've died for the church. He says, Father, please, please work in them. Not only did Jesus pray for unity, the Apostle Paul, he pleaded and begged for unity. You remember he wrote that letter to the church at Corinth. They were struggling with unity. In the very first chapter of that letter, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 10. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. The only way that you and I will ever perfectly be joined together is through Jesus Christ. When you try to join yourself with me and you're filled with your own thoughts, your own ways, and your own methods, and I'm filled with my own thoughts and my own ways and my own methods, it's never going to work. It only works when we are perfectly joined together through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, he said the same thing to the church at Philippi. You see, Scripture confirms Scripture. He was consistent. He spoke to, not only to the church at Ephesus, he spoke to the church at Philippi, and he said this in verse 27 of chapter 1, Only let your conversation as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, hey, be unified. Let there be unity in the church. In in chapter 2, in fact, he talks a lot about unity in chapter 2 of Philippians 2. In verse number 2 of that chapter, he says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. His teaching continues to be consistent when he writes the church at Galatia. In Galatians chapter 3, an iconic passage of Scripture in verse 26 and following, he says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Unity, 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 unity. This is what we must strive for. We must have a unity of spirit, a unity of purpose. The oil in our passage was a mixture known for its fragrance. And the dew in our passage was a mist known for its freshness. The freshness and the fragrance of God. I wonder, I wonder how much more we would endeavor to be united with one another if we would just stop for a moment every day. Every day, just stop for a single second to recognize and appreciate the sweet smell of unity. What God is trying to say to us. He's saying, listen, I want to bless you. It is good for you to dwell together in unity. And I am wanting to bless you. In fact, in Ephesians 5, 2, Paul says, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. 
In Philippians 4.18, he says, But I have all and abound all. I am full, having received of Ephroditus those things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable. And then notice what he says, well-pleasing to God. You see, the unity of the church at Philippi, of spirit and a purpose, had produced something that was so sweet to Paul. But it was not only sweet to Paul, it was pleasant or pleasing to God. Oh yes, let's be united. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. And then lastly and very quickly, hey, let's be united because it's guaranteed to be a blessed thing. It's guaranteed to be a blessing. I look around and I see people searching for love, searching for blessings, searching for happiness in so many different places. And yet God's word confirms that if we'll just be united, he'll bless us. Notice what verse number three says again. There at the end. It says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. What's he talking about? He's saying the imagery that he gave of the oil, okay? The imagery of the dew falling down, the good gifts that come from heaven. He's saying there, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. Mount Zion was often a symbol of the dwelling place of God. Today, the dwelling place of the Lord is right here. In the heart of every believer. The Lord doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He dwells in the temples of our fleshly heart. And as individual believers, we make up the church. We're to be united as a church. In our text, God actually guarantees that where unity exists, His blessing will follow. Receiving God's blessing is not something that I can manufacture A lot of people say, hey, would you come and bless me? Will you come and do this? And will you come? Listen, I don't have the power to give you blessings. I can pray for God's blessings upon you. But guess what? If you want me to pray for God's blessings upon you, I also have to pray that you will be obedient and submissive to God's word. God is not, he's not going to be mocked. He's not going to be fooled into thinking that uh, he should grant us so many blessings if we're not going to live according to his word. And so I don't have a problem praying for blessings and and all these things, but it's not something I can manufacture. In fact, I could beg all day long for God to bless, but it's only Him that can guarantee blessing us all. I got news for you. When God commands something, it's going to happen. You can bank on it. He's not a man that He should lie, nor the Son of Man that He should repent. If He says it, if He says, I'm going to bless you, if you'll walk in unity, there, for there... The Lord commanded blessing. If he says, I'll bless, that's exactly what he means. As we study God's word in unity, as we focus on Jesus Christ in unity, who is the head of the church, as we yield to the Holy Spirit in unity, we will then begin to experience just how good and how pleasant Christian unity can be. In Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier I read, and I close, I read uh, that passage from Ephesians 4. talked about the, 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 these ideas of unity. And uh, verse 3 of that passage tells us and instructs us to understand that Although unity 
actually comes from God, although it comes from the Lord, verse number 3 instructs us by saying that we must endeavor, we must endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I have one final question. Who is our bond and our peace? So if we're going to endeavor to keep the spirit of unity and the spirit and the bond of peace, we must do it through Jesus Christ. Someone has said this, when we concentrate on who we know instead of what we know or think we know, that's when we'll begin to experience unity. If we'll just spend a little more time focused on who we know rather than what we think we know or what we supposedly know, we'll probably have and experience greater unity. Dr. John Phillips, he said these words, and you may have heard this before. He said, to live with all the saints we love, oh, that will be such glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. Oh, yeah, one day we're going to be happy, happy, happy when we get to heaven, and we'll say, I'll be in unity when I get in heaven. You know, I would encourage you to start preparing for heaven now. Because whether you've ever considered it or not, my eternity has already begun. Your eternity, if you're a blood-bought child of God, has already begun. Whether in life or in death. Isn't that what Paul was talking about? He said, I'm going to glorify God. Whether it be through my life or through my death. Listen, our eternity has already begun. The question is, what are we doing with this blessing of God? May God help us to do our part in living in Christian unity because it's a good thing, it's a God thing, and it's a guaranteed blessed thing. It's guaranteed to be blessed by God. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions and we pray. I'm going to ask you today, will you pray for unity? You see, because we're getting ready to start missions revival preparation time. And if there's one thing I know greater than anything else, the devil who walks about seeking whom he may devour, he hates, he hates, he hates, he hates missions. You see, our God is a missionary God. And so I'm going to ask you, will you pray for unity? And then number two, I'm going to ask you, will you willingly commit yourself Will you willingly commit yourself to grow in unity? If you think you've arrived in being someone who is united with brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I and every one of us are in a dangerous position. The moment you think you've arrived spiritually is the moment I would encourage you that you're in trouble. Will you commit yourself to pray for unity? Will you commit yourself to do what's necessary so that you might grow your heart to live in a greater capacity of unity. That means forgiving one another. That means working together on things with one another. That means getting outside of the building. The church has left the building mentality and going and serving one another and serving our community and reaching out with the message that Jesus saves, Jesus saves. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves. That's what it's all about. And you can do that in love. If you're here today and you say, well, I can't walk in unity because I've never trusted Christ. I, I, I don't even have unity with Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you that you can do that today? Can I tell you that he loves you and he loves everyone in this room? He loves the world. That's what the Bible says, for God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he is begging with you. He is pleading with you right now. I'm not begging with you. God is begging with you right now that if you don't have a relationship with him, that you would come and you would trust him by faith and that you would unite your heart with other believers, men and women, boys and girls, and have a relationship with the Lord. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.